this morning, um, before I start, I just do want to mention I worked a little bit ahead in my preparation, so there actually is a little bit of an outline for the sermon notes on the back um, if you want to use those. Typically, I wait till the last minute to actually have the outline all together, and then it ends up just being blank. So if you want to follow along there, um, there's a couple points there, and you can feel free to write them there if you like taking notes. Um, so we hear, it's kind of a saying, that the, the only things that are certain in this life are, are death and taxes. Um, and I don't have anything to say about taxes this morning, but um, <laughs> there are some things to be said about death. Um, it's no secret that we all die. Um, that's really our end, our destination in a way. Um, you could say it's our destination for this life. Because um, really from the moment we're given life, from when our, our life begins, we're on our way towards death. Um, uh, kind of on a journey towards death. And So you can almost say like our, our GPS for life is, has a destination set for death, and we don't really know what the ETA is. Um, and so in, in this way, we're almost all currently dying. And um, as humans throughout history have wrestled with this reality, um, it's really spawned countless religions and philosophies um, and ideologies and even quests. Um, there's Men have even set sail to find a fountain of youth that will prevent death. Um, there's religions... Uh, speculate kind of what's going to happen to us after death. What is death like? What's this destination of death like? Um, philosophies consider how do you live the good life um, on your way to death? Kind of how do you make the life you have worth it? Um, and this morning, our passage is on the Christian doctrine of resurrection. And because of the doctrine of resurrection, Christianity is actually unique in its approach to questions surrounding the problem of death. Uh, most religions say that what you do with your life determines the nature of your afterlife. Um, and this is also true to an extent in Christianity, right? Whether you submit to Christ um, or not certainly has implications on life after death. But in Christian, but Christianity is a little different because in Christianity, we can have assurance of salvation. That is, we can know our fate after death. We know where we're going, what's going to happen to us. And so because of that, the opposite is actually also true. And that the nature of our afterlife can determine what we do here in this life. Um, or it can at least influence it, motivate us to, to do different things. Uh, in other words, as, as Christians, once we have placed our trust in Christ, we can look forward to what will happen after death. And this can impact how we live our life right now. Um, and this is not the case in many other religions because you don't really know where you're going after death until you get there. Um, and part of, our nat- part of the nature of our afterlife as Christians is the resurrection. Uh, de- that's that death will be reversed and we'll be given new redeemed bodies and live um, with God on a new redeemed earth. Uh, but throughout history and even today, uh, this doctrine of resurrection has come into question. We ask, us, ask questions like, do we receive actual physical bodies, um, or are, they, is, are we just kind of spirits after we die um, and for eternity? Or is, is the doctrine of resurrection literal, or is it metaphorical? Um, you know, did Jesus actually ri- rise from the dead, or is it a metaphor for something? Um, and also, he asked the question, what difference does it make for me now? Um, if that's after I die, I'll find out when I get there. Um, so what difference does it make? 
Um, And this morning we're going to read about the resurrection of the dead and see why it is a crucial doctrine and what difference it makes to us now on this side of death. And so our passage for this morning is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. Uh, That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19. So we're in 1 Corinthians, and I want to start by giving just briefly a little bit of background. Um, Since we haven't been working through this book sequentially, like Pastor Matt has been taking us through the Gospel of Matthew. Um, So 1 Corinthians is a letter um, from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Um, But the Corinthian church had several problems. Um, There's a lot of division and competition in the church. Um, And really our churches today are not immune from these same problems. Uh, First of all, you had a couple of wealthy, influential families in the church who were trying to buy the allegiance and and political favors from, from the less wealthy church members. And this obviously caused lots of problems, including division among the church. Uh, On top of that, uh, the church as a whole struggled with immaturity and arrogance. Um, Many Corinthians who had accepted Christ were not appropriately separating themselves from their old pagan practices. And so, for example, there were some who struggled to stop visiting the temple prostitutes of their old religion. On the other hand, you had another group of believers who saw these practices and overcorrected, and so they were rejecting anything material and worldly um, and wading into the dangers of what's called philosophical dualism. And dualism essentially says that anything that's material, anything of this world is bad, including our bodies often, Um, and it's kind of the cause of our problems. A lot of kind of dualist thinking, which kind of comes out of Plato, would say, you know, the body was kind of the prison of the soul and kind of that The goal then is to escape it and kind of go into the spiritual realm after death. Um, And so a lot of these Corinthians, because of kind of the worldliness of the other believers, were overcorrecting to completely neglecting anything of importance on this earth. Um, And so as an example of what that might have looked like, as some of the Corinthians were um, visiting the temple prostitutes and were behaving in a sexually immoral way, these Christians were overcorrecting and say, it's not even a good thing to get married, you shouldn't even be married at all. Um, and so you can kind of see the problem here. I mean, you have some in the church who are not walking away from idolizing earthly pleasures, and then you have others who, in reaction to this idolization, um, are discounting anything material and of this world at all. Um, and this is likely where the problem comes up that Paul's addressing in our passage um, regarding bodily resurrection. Um, since the material world is bad, kind of on the dualist view, then our material bodies are bad, and when we die, only our spirit will live on in a better afterlife. It's kind of what he's addressing. He's kind of addressing that viewpoint. Um, and, and so these Christians were rejecting that one day those who follow Christ will be resurrected from the dead and will be able to walk and speak and dance and sing and enjoy the new creation physically after Christ returns. And this view isn't unpopular in our culture today either. Um, Many of us might be tempted to think of the afterlife as a a purely spiritual realm uh, where we might sit on clouds and play harps or um, or perhaps we might think that the resurrection of Christ was a metaphor. Um, It could have been a metaphor maybe for new life that we have here on earth in Christ or maybe new beginnings or just a new relationship with God and it was simply metaphorical for that. 
Um, so we might ask, why is it important that we believe in the bodily resurrection of the dead? And, and this is the question that's at the center of our passage. Um, so we'll read that now in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. So Paul's actually arguing for the importance of believing in a bodily resurrection of the dead by showing the unappealing consequences of what happens if there is no resurrection. So we see in the passage a lot of if-thens, if-then statements, right? And so what Paul's saying is he's saying if there is no resurrection of the dead, then these are the consequences. Um, and, this show, and this is kind of how I structured the sermon notes then, too. There's a couple of if-then statements for the two teaching points, and then they'll be followed by how do we apply those if-then statements. What does that mean for us? And so the first of those teaching points, first of our if-then statements, is if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. So if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And, and this comes directly from our scripture. Um, verse 13, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Um, actually, we also see at the end of verse 15 and end of verse 16, that says, but he, meaning God, did not raise him, Christ, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So the resurrection of believers after death and the resurrection of Christ are inseparable here. Um, just a couple verses down um, in verses 21 and 22, um, Paul's kind of then from there going into the positives of, okay, this is what happens if there is no re resurrection, here's what happens if there is. Um, and he says there that for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So Paul is saying if bodies can't be resurrected, if that's not a thing, then Christ wasn't resurrected. Because um, if those who are united to Christ are not resurrected, then it can't be that Christ himself was resurrected. Um, so what, we might ask. So, so what if the... What if the resurrection wasn't physical? What if it was a metaphor, like we said earlier? Perhaps it just refers to a spiritual reappearance of Christ, the resurrection. It wasn't actually his body. Uh, maybe like there was a sort of ghost of Christ that, that still lives. Um, and what does it change for us if there isn't a bodily resurrection of the dead as long as our spirits still live on and after our bodies die? Kind of why, why does that matter? Um, and how much does it matter? And Paul would say quite a bit, actually. It matters a lot. Um, and that's what our second teaching point is. Um, and the second teaching point actually takes the consequence, the then, from the first statement and puts it as the condition, the if. So it starts with, if Christ has not been raised. And, and that is that if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is useless. 
useless? Would it really be useless? That's, that seems kind of strong. Um, but Paul would say, yes, it's useless. Uh, and more than that, if Christ hasn't been resurrected, Paul says that the, the preaching of the apostles is useless too, and they've even been being false witnesses about God. Uh, and because the apostles, just before our passage in verse 15, then we're going to the other side of it, um, Paul's kind of recapping what the gospel is. And he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of his brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Look, Paul's kind of saying, he's saying, look, we have all testified that Christ appeared to us. Um, Peter testified that he saw a physically, phys- physically resurrected Christ, uh, and Christ appeared to the disciples. He even had them touch his wounds to show that he was actually physically there. It was actually him. Um, then there were over 500 witnesses that claimed they saw a resurrected Christ, um, and they're still alive. He's kind of saying they're still alive if you want to ask around about it. Um, then James claims that he witnessed Christ alive and in person. Um, and then finally, Paul himself bears witness of the resurrected Christ. And so bearing a false witness is already a big deal. And it's, I mean, if you bear false witness in a court today even, that's a severe offense. Um, but bearing a false witness against God, that's really even greater. Um, but not only would no resurrection mean that all the, these people were liars, um, it would also have consequence for those who listened to these people and believe what they said, um, people like us who are Christians today. It would mean that our faith is completely useless or, or futile. Well, that sounds a little bit strong, um, we might be thinking. It can't be completely useless, right? Because even, even if Christ didn't resurrect, wouldn't there still be some benefit to being a Christian? Uh, perhaps we could still be encouraged by Christ to do good things, or... Uh, Maybe we could still be inspired by Christ and and his selfless sacrifice and and try to live like him. Um, After all, he even still died for our sins, even if he wasn't resurrected. So isn't it a little strong to say our faith is useless without the resurrection? Um, A lot of people might think this. I I was reading an article this week. It was called, Can You Question the Resurrection and Still Be a Christian? The article interviews a few people who claim to be Christian and if they believe in a literal resurrection of Christ. Uh, One man who was interviewed in the article, um, he's a professor who considers himself a non-practicing Catholic but still believes in God. Um, And he said, the miracle of a bodily resurrection is something I rejected without moving away from its basic idea. What I mean is that we can reach the lowest points of our lives of going deep into a place that feels like death and then find our way out again. That's the story the resurrection now tells me. So isn't there still some use of Christianity without the bodily resurrection? No. Paul says, no, it does, there isn't. It's useless. If Christ was not resurrected, our faith is useless. But why would our faith be useless without the resurrection? Verse 17 answers that. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. 
You see, it's not enough that Christ died for our sins to save us and then stayed dead. If the resurrection did not actually happen, then Christ has no victory over death, which is the penalty of sin. And if Christ cannot defeat death, he has not defeated sin. So how can he free us from it? To kind of illustrate this, suppose you're, you're being held captive in a room by someone, maybe like on the TV shows where they're, they're strapped to the chair and can't get out and the person's armed and they're guarding you so you can't get out and you're trapped. And when the police come, what are they going to do? Well, in, so, in some way, they have to defeat the kidnapper in order to free you. Um, whether that be by, you know, killing the kidnapper or defeating him by forcing him to, to give up and, and surrender. And so, in a similar way, if Christ did not conquer and defeat sin and death, it would be foolish for us to say that he saved us from, from sin and death. It would be like sitting still strapped in the chair with the kidnapper standing next to you still saying, thank goodness the police have freed me. Uh, the captor has to be defeated or overcome before the captive can be freed. And so if Christ was not resurrected, then we are still in our sins. And if we're still in our sins, there's no salvation for us because the wages of sin is death. And that's why uh, in verse 18, Paul says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If Christ hasn't been raised, then there's no salvation for us, and there's no salvation for believers who have come before us and already passed away, in- including Paul, actually, for us. There's no hope for them and none for us. And so to kind of summarize so far, we've, we've said if there's no such thing as bodily resurrection of the dead, then the resurrection of Christ did not happen. And if the resurrection of Christ did not happen, Paul and the apostles were liars, and our faith is completely useless because there's no hope for our salvation from our sin. All we have to hope for is what we have now, what we have right here. Uh, This is as good as it gets. So if we reject that there is bodily resurrection, whether our own future bodily resurrection or the past resurrection of Christ, we are wasting our time here today as Christians. That's why Paul says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If there's no resurrection of the dead, others would actually be right to have pity on us. How sad. Uh, there's no middle ground here either, really. Either we're saved and destined to be resurrected, or we're destined to be resurrected to reign with Christ on, with, to reign with King Jesus on the new earth, or we're pitiful um, because we're devoting our whole lives to an empty promise. Uh, if we have no hope of resurrection and reigning with Christ, then we're giving up our lives and pleasures here on earth for absolutely nothing. There's no resurrection, there's no way for us to be reconciled to God and experience community and relationship with him. Yet here we are today, right? We're, we're sacrificing time, we sacrifice energy, finances, pleasures, sometimes friends and family, our very lives to be Christians, and, and we do it all for nothing. But this that we've been talking about so far is all if there was no resurrection of the dead. What about if it is true? What if God does raise the dead? Um, 
what, what happens then? Well, if that's the case, which Paul's arguing here, which we believe as Christians, then Christ has risen. He has conquered death. We are saved. We can experience relationship with him. And one day we will live and breathe and eat and touch and walk and dance and sing and run on the new earth where we will be with God forever, enjoying his redeemed creation for eternity. And so of what use then is this doctrine of the bodily resurrection of the dead to us today? Uh, I mean, because we can easily see, right, how it has application for us after we die, namely that we'll be resurrected and have new bodies. Um, But what about right now? What does it do? Um, First of all, I want, before I get to what the application point is, I want to mention what it's not. Uh, it should not lead what it shouldn't lead us into is it shouldn't lead us into a life on this side of death and seeing it as unimportant. We shouldn't be passively waiting for death um, in our bodily resurrection to say whatever I'm going to die and then I'll get a new one and I'll just make it count then because this one's going to end anyways. Um, that that would almost be becoming similar to the dualist Corinthians in our thinking, assuming that our kind of bodies are a prison for our souls and this life needs to be escaped and we'll just wait for the better life to come and this doesn't really matter here. Um, actually, this doctrine of resurrection of the dead ought to lead us to the contrary of that. Um, because of the doctrine of the resurrection, our faith is not useless. That means the doctrine enables us to live out our faith more boldly because we know it's not useless. We can worship louder not worrying if we are out of tune. Uh, We can pray more, not worrying if we're wasting our time with it. Uh, We can share the gospel with our neighbors, not wondering if it's in vain. We can fight sin, not pondering if it's worth the energy. We can find joy in suffering, even if we don't know why God is allowing us to suffer. We can give to churches and missions and, and meet the needs of the poor, not troubling ourselves with, what if this is a waste of money? Because we know our faith is not useless. We're no, we know we are destined to be resurrected, to live eternally with God in a new creation where there is no death, no sin, no mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Because we have hope in resurrection, we can't possibly waste our lives here by being too bold in our faith. In fact, living completely for God and boldly for God, is the only way to not waste your life. I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that Christianity is unique in that the nature of our afterlife as believers can actually influence how we live now. And that's what I'm talking about. And so I want to leave you with the one application point then um, of the doctrine of the resurrection um, and how it applies to life right now. And that's this. Live out your faith boldly on this side of death. Our faith is not useless. This life matters. And so, live out your faith more boldly on this side of death. So that's a a general application um, that goes next to the word application on the sermon notes. But... Um, underneath that, if if you're taking notes, or or even if you're not, I would encourage you to do this. Um, I want you to write down what it might look like for you to live out your faith more boldly. 
Um, just to kind of get you thinking, maybe it's to, re- to live your faith more boldly is to rejoice more in your suffering because you know God has already conquered it. Maybe it's to live more boldly in your faith is to take that step in sharing your faith with your friend because you know without it they have hope in this life only. Maybe it is to take your sin more seriously and let someone know you let someone you trust in on the battle to encourage you and to hold you accountable in fighting that sin because you know Christ has freed you from that sin's grip. Maybe it's to give and care more for the needy because you know that Christ has given a tremendous gift to the spiritually needy like us. Or maybe it's something else to to live out your faith more boldly. But whatever it might be, um, write that under application too in addition to the the general statement I already looked at. Be praying for, for that boldness and let others in on it and have them be praying for it for you too. Because we'll be resurrected... Christ has been resurrected, and our faith is not useless. Our faith, here and now, is useful. It's almost ironic that it's because we'll be resurrected to a new life that this life matters. If without resurrection our faith is futile, then that means that because of the resurrection, our faith is of utmost importance. We have received testimony of the resurrection of Christ. And if Christ was resurrected, then those who are in Christ will also be resurrected. And if we are saved and will be resurrected, then our faith is not useless, but useful. And so we should live out our life, our, our faith and our life more boldly on this side of death. Um,